Um, as I said, we're going to be finishing up our series through Acts uh, this morning. And if you look at the title in your notes, you may see a bunch of, a little bit re- repetitive. The title of the sermon is The Gospel Advances, and that's not just because I couldn't think of anything better, uh, or it was a typo or anything like that, but, but I really wanted us, as we kind of enter into to this passage, to really kind of be reminded uh, of really the theme throughout what we've been going through, how, how the gospel has been advancing no matter what persecution, no matter what opposition has come along to the early church, whether that's been uh, physical persecution, emotional persecution, just uh, all sorts of things where they've been jailed, uh, been killed even, yet the gospel has continued to spread. It's, it's like the, it's, a, it's a God thing and not just a something humankind, mankind made up. Um, and today we're going to look at a couple of other areas, one that we started to look at last week in the beginning of Acts chapter 15, uh, dealing with kind of a doctrinal conflict, answering the question, what does it take to be saved? I mean, that's the most important question that you could ever ask in your lifetime. What does it take to be saved? Um, they answer that question, and we'll talk about that and review. And then the next thing, the last thing we'll finish up with is kind of a relational conflict between Paul and Barnabas, and we'll, we'll look at that as we close. But no matter, as we see, I want you to be thinking, uh, all these things that seemingly could really thwart God's mission of the gospel advancing, they always seem to, to turn out for his good. So let's review from last week. For those of you who weren't here, hopefully this will be uh, even more helpful. For those of you who were here that have forgotten, um, or it's Labor Day and you're just kind of out of it a little bit, hopefully this will help. All right, so Paul and Barnabas, we've been kind of tracking through their journey, their missionary journey to a lot of different cities. And they've gone to each one of these cities preaching mostly to Gentiles, um, but also some Jews. And Gentiles, you can basically think of as just non-Jews. All right, so Jews and Gentiles basically covers everybody. So they've been on these journeys. They've gone about 500 miles one way, circled back, gone through the same back areas, another 500 miles on their way back, and they end up in Antioch, and they're ministering there when some people from Jerusalem, which is kind of the main church hub, um, come up and basically say, all, you know, all these Gentiles, these non-Jews that are getting saved, they aren't really saved. They need, to, they need to get circumcised, which is one of the, the signs of the Old Covenant, um, one of the, the really key parts of the Jewish law. And they need, they need to, in a sense, become Jews before they can be saved. And, you know, it seems a little weird for us to think like that. But if you remember, Christianity really began as, as from, from the Jews. Jesus was a Jew. And as it began to spread in the early church, it was really kind of known and understood in this kind of Jewish bubble as a Jewish uh, group. But we've seen over the last several months that, that things are different. Things are different now. So these men come up to Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas are like, that doesn't seem to be the case. It's not, not from, that's not how we understand what, what the gospel of Jesus is. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus minus something else. It's, it's Jesus. And so they get in this argument. It's, it's big enough to where they have to go back to Jerusalem, to the church leaders there, the apostles and the elders. And basically they bring it up there and say, hey, what's the, what's the deal? Who are these people coming up to tell us these things? And so they, they get together, they get this, what is known in Christian history as the Jerusalem Council together. And uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, are asking these questions. So a couple of the leaders of that Jerusalem church, well-known leaders, Peter and James, both get up. Peter reminds everybody about, hey, look, you know, back just a few chapters ago, at least in our minds, a few chapters ago, that there's all these Gentiles that I, that I preached to, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, 
And they, it seems to me by everything that I could see is they were, they were saved. They were saved. And then James says, and Paul and Barnabas before that, um, get up and say, you know, we go, went to all these cities on this journey, and the same thing is happening. Gentiles, non-Jews, are, are, are they, they're getting saved. So, so how, do we, how do we rectify this? And then James, who was probably the, the lead elder, lead apostle of that Jerusalem church, gets up and basically comes at the argument from a little bit of a different angle. He basically says, hey, when we look back at the Old Testament, look back, we look back to what these writings that we have, this is part of God's plan all along. If you look, and he quotes a couple of uh, different passages that basically state that God's purpose was to, to rescue, to save, to bring all peoples, all nations to himself and gather them as one people, his people. All right, so then, you know, the, the arguments are kind of laid out. Um, they have a pretty strong case uh, for uh, the Paul and Barnabas. And they come to this resolution that, okay, from what we're seeing, they recognize that God is acting a little bit differently now. He, he is sending the Holy Spirit. After Jesus has ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit has come and indwelling both Jews and non-Jews. So the church is, is kind of taking a little bit of a different shape now. And so they, they're getting ready to send this letter back to the, the Gentiles in Antioch. And that's where we find ourselves today is the start. Um, the first point here is the letter to the Gentiles. So let's start to read these verses together and kind of walk through them. Verse 22, it starts out, um, we'll see here. It says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers. All right, so first, this, this verse, they, they choose two men to, to send with the company of the letter. Um, you know, it may be kind of obvious, but I, th- I think it's worth noting of why they sent these men. Um, if they would have just sent Paul and Barnabas back, um, I think it would have had a little bit less of an impact. They, they, wanted, they wanted to kind of send representatives from the Jerusalem church to, to really carry some authority and the weight and say, hey, this isn't something that, you know, I know Paul and Barnabas are your friends and they, they've served with you and they're not trying to just sugarcoat anything. That we're, we're, really, we're really behind this. We are, we are for you. We are for the gospel. And, and that's why they sent these two men. Not much is known about Judas uh, called Barsabbas. He's not the Judas that you're thinking of when you think of Judas um, because he, he is no longer uh, with us at this point. And Silas is, is talked about throughout the New Testament as a ministry partner with Paul, and we see his ministry really flourish uh, in, in later times. So we've got these two guys that they're sending, and then the letter. So here's a letter that they write. With the following letter, starting in verse 23, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Saul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden from these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. All right, so here's the letter that we have. And if you um, kind of look at that, at first, we, we see the greeting to start, 
We see them kind of basically set the record straight a little bit and say, hey, those people that came to you from Jerusalem, they weren't from us. They didn't have, we did not give them the authority. We did not instruct them to come to you. They went on their own accord, and frankly, they're, they're, they're wrong in what they're telling you. Um, and it, it talks about uh, them sending Silas and Judas, and then it kind of finishes up with saying, the Holy Spirit has, uh, it's, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not lay any requirements on you except for these requirements. How, how do we, you know, how, it kind of sounds a little bit weird when you read it, um, but if we understand the context, and we'll, we'll kind of walk through it here, and we talked a little bit last week about this, but these four requirements that the letter ends with, what is it talking about? Is this, is it four requirements to, you know, that you don't have to be circumcised, but they have to do pretty much everything else? Or is it talking about something different here? Well, if, you know, going back to, to last week and what we talked about, the conversation is changed a little bit. That This is no longer the, the conversation about salvation. It's more about um, unity and cultural, um, cultural unity, uh, church unity as they learn to live between Jews and Gentiles. But let's take a look at what those four things are. They were to abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, from uh, what has been strangled, from sexual immorality. Okay, so you've got this list of four requirements. A lot of, a lot of things have been written about these, a lot of different opinions. That, you know, if you just take this verse out of context, you can come up with a lot of crazy things. Um, some believe that these four things were, were kind of dated back to the law of Moses or Noah. Even before Moses, before Abraham, before there were even Jews, they, were, they applied to Noah, so they applied to basically all of mankind. So let's just pare it down to these four. Uh, it's a little bit of a stretch to, to get there. Um, some say they're just associated with idolatry. Maybe they're just four rules from the law of Moses to help Jews and Gentiles eat together. Um, but really, we, if we understand the why behind it, um, I think it helps us get to that point of understanding what, what the purpose of it is for. Uh, last week, we read verse 21, which was right before they sent the letter. And I want to read that, reread that again because it, they just listed those four things. And then James basically says this. He says, we, we want you to do these four things because for from every ancient generation, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So basically, what he says here is, listen, we, we know that there are no further requirements to be saved. It is grace, faith in Jesus Christ, um, by his grace alone, that, that saves you. But there are Jews that still practice some of the ritual law and moral law. They are very devout Jews. Some that are, have become Christians, some that are uh, maybe yet to be Christians. Uh, but we, we want you to not, not offend them unnecessarily. And in order to do that in this culture, because they're, they're, there's Jews in all these cities that you live in, we don't want you to rub your freedom in their face. And, and, how to, and the best way to do that is to kind of abide by these guidelines. So they, so they give these guidelines. The first three really are kind of dealing more with uh, that specific context. <coughs> you know, offer to idols from blood, strangled meat, which also has blood in it. And blood was something that the Jews couldn't come into contact with. It would defile them. And then the fourth requirement, dealing with sexual morality, uh, is obviously something that's not just a cultural thing at that point, but um, it's spoken through throughout the rest of the New Testament, all of Paul's letters, uh, of something that uh, followers of Christ are to abstain from, you know, sexual immorality. So, so really the point here, as we look at these things, is, is to don't exercise your freedom at the expense of another person, especially a brother or sister in Christ, and really focusing on the unity uh, within the body. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute.
But next, what we see here in this passage, starting with verse 30, is uh, that the Gentiles are encouraged and strengthened. All right, let's look at these few verses. It says this, So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So we see here um, the reaction of, of the Gentiles once they get the letter. I think we could tell a lot about the content of the letter uh, when we, by their reaction. And this was more than, you know, more than just, yay, I don't have to get circumcised. You know, the guys were really excited about that. But it was more, much more than that. It was, it was a defining moment in history that, that really, you know, we've said it before, but we can't overstate that, that the good news of Jesus is now being completely, fully confirmed that it is enough to save. The church is officially being redefined, not, 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 not necessarily by the council. They're, they're not really making this rule up. They're just acknowledging and recognizing, hey, God, God's doing something here, so we just want to affirm it, recognize it, and, and keep going with God. All right, so it's not something where they're trying to manipulate the situation. Um, they, you know, over and over, as Pastor Michael talked last week, um, God was a. We saw God do this. We saw God do this as they're giving testimony to what has been done and, and the salvation of the Gentiles. And so we see that the Gentiles are rejoicing, even though there are some requirements on there. We don't have any record of them kind of being like, "Oh, they're going to make us be nice to the Jews, even though we can do whatever we want." We don't see that. I'm, you know, I'm sure. Human nature, there was some, some of that there probably, but um, they seem happy to, to, uh, to take care of and, and re, um, follow these guidelines to help them have better relationships with the Jews um, in their communities. And then one other thing in these verses that's kind of interesting um, is in verse, uh, verses 33 through 35. I don't know if, if you're following along in your Bible, you may have noticed it, but if you look here, it, this is copied directly from the ESV translation. Uh, you probably noticed, since I highlighted it for you and helped you out, um, you would have figured it out afterward. Um, you guys are smart. But you notice there's a number missing, right? 34. Where, what's, what's up with 34? Um, I, I think it's worth noting uh, that verse 34, you may see in some of your footnotes, it often has it there. Um, it, it, verse 34 says, but it seemed good to, for Silas to remain there. All right, so in, in some of the early manuscripts that they have, this verse wasn't in there. So more than likely what happened is some of the scribes, as they're recopying the Bible, they see, as we'll see in a few minutes, a couple verses later, Silas is in Antioch. He didn't go, he's not in Jerusalem. Now, so that some, you know, smart scribe is probably like, oh, I just want to add this thing in here. Like, it makes the story flow a little better. We already sent Silas, you know, back to, to Jerusalem. He's supposed to be in Antioch. Well, we've got to fix this. Um, but it, it's pretty much completely unnecessary because we know there can be a length of time, months, year, between the next few verses and this verses, this verse. So really, it has no theological bearing. I, I gave this example in the first service. Like it's not like, you know, Romans three twenty three. Okay, this, this, some of the scribes are writing some have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And these other guys are writing all have sinned, and then we've kind of got this discrepancy. You know, it does. It does it's not like that. It's not like that. It doesn't have any theological weight. It's just kind of it makes the narrative flow a little better according to maybe some of the later scribes. But as we try to get back to the original text, um, most translations that you see will probably leave that out or, or see that. So um, 
you know, and when we always, always come across things like this, there, there's a couple instances where they're like this in Scripture. Uh, some people will use this as proof. Oh, the, we can't trust the Bible. They, they don't have, you know, it's missing a verse. They can't even count. Well, I mean, how, how do we trust this, this book? Um, but, but in a lot of ways, and, and what I, I would challenge you to, to take this as, is really reaffirming the authenticity, the validity of every other thousands of verses in the Bible that, that all of the texts line up. There's no discrepancies. Um, they, you know, I think it's helpful for, and, you know, I appreciate some of the translators noting this thing here where we see, okay, there, there was some differences in the, the early manuscripts but between some later manuscripts. Uh, but, as I said, no real theological, uh, not really of any theological importance, but it really, in a lot of ways, affirms the, the validity and just the, the amount of, of copies and really early, early manuscripts, more so than any other book in history that they have that, that do line up with one another. So um, let that be an encouragement to you, uh, even when you're, it looks like your Bible verses aren't in order. All right? So overall, in these verses, we see the Gentiles are at a good place. They're, they've re- received the letter. They're rejoicing. Yay, we don't have to get circumcised. We don't have to follow the Jewish law. We don't have to become Jews to be in a relationship with God. So we leave them there. And the last uh, few verses of this chapter present another interesting story. I mentioned it at the beginning, but they're between this uh, little rift that happens between uh, Paul and Barnabas. So let's read this together. Starting in verse 36, it says this, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right. So we see kind of an interesting situation between these two good friends. Uh, what was the disagreement over? It wasn't over the mission. They both were in agreement. Hey, we should go back to these churches we visited, to, uh, just strengthen them, encourage them however we can. They, they agreed on that, but they disagreed on who they should take with them. A few chapters ago, we read about uh, John Mark, who was kind of alongside them, and leaving them in the middle of one of their journeys for you know, it was like half a verse. You don't really get much detail about it. But it basically just said he, he left. He left them. But now it comes back up. And for whatever reason it was, Paul did not uh, see that as a, as a good reason, as a justifiable reason. Um, so much so that he wasn't willing to take him again. But Barnabas, if you remember, he, his name's Son of Encouragement. He's kind of the uh, touchy-feely guy that, that lo- you know, lovey-dovey, wants to give him a second chance. Um, he, he, wants to, he wants to bring him. He thinks John Mark deserves a second chance, wants to, wants to take him. Uh, it's interesting how Luke, the writer of this letter, uh, doesn't really take sides. He just kind of explains it and, and leaves it up for interpretation uh, as far as who, who may have been more in the right and more in the wrong. But, but what, the big thing we can see from this, there's a lot of things. You know, sermons have been preached over this countless times about conflict, conflict resolution, and all these sorts of things, and we could definitely learn some things related to that. But I think for today, as we 
think about the gospel advancing and just see, look, stepping back and taking a look at the outcome of what happened from the separation, they ended up going in two separate ways and basically doubling their ministry, doubling their, um, just the, the impact and influence that they would have and, and also really multiplying their ministry in both Silas for Paul and then John Mark uh, for Barnabas. And so they, and we see later in the New Testament that uh, both John Mark and Silas uh, both ha- have great ministries. Paul and, Paul and John Mark, their relationship gets uh, mended to some extent where he, he calls him a brother or something to that ex- extent. And so th- things turn out good in a sense, and really even for the better. If, if Paul and Barnabas would have just stayed together and kind of gone back to the same churches, um, some of these other places may not have, have been reached. So we see God's hand at work here, um, in, in, even in this pretty uh, sharp disagreement that happens between these friends. So as we look at this passage today, I want us to take away a couple things. So to learn from, to be reminded of, a couple of takeaways. The first one is, is somewhat repetitive to a lot of our, our applications from the book of Acts, but I don't think we could ever repeat it enough. We need to hear it over and over again every Sunday, every day of our lives that the gospel is sufficient to save. If you remember Michael's takeaway, Pastor Michael's takeaway from last week, do not add to or subtract from the gospel of Jesus. The same kind of concept here uh, is at work. You know, think about how freeing this news must have felt for the Gentiles. They're, they're, they're you know, waiting for this letter to come back or people to come back. You know, they didn't have email or anything like that. So, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks are going by and the council's meeting and they haven't heard anything, and then the letter comes um, with the, the senders, and they, they are encouraged and rejoice because of, uh, of this truth. They, they, they were almost falling into this, this trap uh, where people were trying to get into, that the law is what saves you. But last week we looked, the law wasn't given to us to save. You think of the Ten Commandments as kind of the moral law, uh, and then all the other different laws, hundreds of different things that the Jews followed, that's kind of more the ritual law. There's a lot of different ways to break that up, but if you, you can think of them in kind of the two big uh, groups. They, they were worried, hey, so we're going to have to start following all these things and really change completely the way we live um, in, in our context to be saved. Um, but the law wasn't given to save, as I said. And so the three things that I think bear repeating from last week that Michael mentioned. What was, so what was the law given for? What, what was its purpose? What was its use? Well, three uses of it were, one, it was to distinguish Israel, kind of to set them apart as God's chosen people. Secondly, it was to restrain mankind, to provide uh, the example of like a speed limit. Keeps them from just going crazy by, by setting some guidelines. And then also the third one, uh, which is a really, really big one, is to diagnose sin. This, this is talked about all through the book of Romans, a lot of different areas and other passages in Scripture. But it was like, it was like an MRI, like we talked about last week. It, it could tell us what was wrong with us, but it could not do anything to resolve this massive problem, this massive separation from God caused by sin that we had. So that was why the law was given, and the law was really to point us towards Jesus, to point us towards the gospel. And that through the gospel now, through Christ's, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, that we can be saved. 
we saved. And, and as we talk about this a lot, you know, um, hopefully this, this is a part uh, of every one of our, our sermons that we, that we preach here at Fellowship of Grace. But I want to really um, speak to those of you who may, may not have ever received the gospel before and, and accepted uh, God's gift uh, of eternal life through Jesus. I want to challenge you today that, um, you know, we, as we talked about it and sung about earlier in our service, that, that Jesus Christ is a saving one, that those who call upon his name will be saved. And th- there's such a, a power uh, in that that um, I don't want us to take for granted. And, for the, and if, that, if you have not done that, I want to encourage you to just, um, if you have questions about it, maybe, maybe you feel something inside of you that's, that's more than just a curiosity, or maybe it is. Maybe it's something that's prompting you to do that. I, I, don't ignore it. Don't quench that. But really, kind of dive into that deep, into a, in a deep way. And, and maybe check the box on the back of your connection card. Come, come find one of our, the leaders of our church after the service. I would really encourage you to um, pursue that and, and see if, if that's something that, that God is calling you uh, to. So the gospel is sufficient to save. It doesn't need any help from us. It, doesn't, it just doesn't. It is enough. It is enough. I think another thing we can learn from these verses is that our relationships with others must always be marked by sensitivity and generosity, living by the law of love. All right, so we've talked about how we're no longer bound by the law because of, because of Jesus and his grace. We are in the new covenant. We're no longer bound by the old covenant. So, so what is our relationship with the law? Well, let's, let's look at a couple verses that talk about um, what kind of the new law we are under. Galatians 5, 13 through 14 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The same idea in Romans 13, 8 through 10. says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, so we see this new law that's kind of in effect for us as Christ followers. The law of love. Um, which, when we think about it, and what has what basically just been shown in those verses, is that the, at the heart of the law was really love. That's really what it was all about. It just came to the surface with Jesus. And he showed us and kind of shone a light uh, on the law and said, hey, this is really what it's about. Loving others, loving God. You know, when, when Christ was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? He said, love God, love others. And so that, that sums up the, all of the law, all the prophets. And how, do we, how does that play out in our, in our everyday lives? Living with the law of love, not exercising our freedom in a way that um, crushes others or that offends others. You know, I, I think it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a little bit of a, a dance, a little tricky at times. And many of you have, have uh, dealt with this, if you've been a Christian for any length of time. But, you know, whether it's something as, as small as what, what movie to watch, a decision like that, or what drink to drink, or what, what clothes you should wear, there's many times where, where it may not be a sin for you to do this certain thing. 
um, but it probably and, and potentially could uh, hurt somebody that, that you're close to. Uh, I think we need to be aware of that. I think the principle in effect here is just because you can do something and you're not, you're not sinning against God doesn't mean that you should do that. All right? And that's a good principle to just live by. I think we need to be aware as we try to maintain unity within the body uh, of things. It doesn't mean you, you go to the extreme and just do what everybody else wants you to do and, and you, you don't, you know, make any decision for yourself, but it, it doesn't go to the other stream and just say, well, you know, it's just between me and God. It's not a sin for me to do this, so I can do it however, whenever. That we see here in Scripture and, and really throughout the, the New Testament how our relationships to the outside world, to those in our church, they, they matter. It's not just between you and God. Your decisions affect everybody around you. And so we need to be aware of that uh, and just uh, pray for wisdom and discernment in those situations. But, uh, you know, in some of our past sermons where we talked about what it means to be a true community, we talked about things like outdoing one another and showing honor to one another or laying down your life uh, for others, just putting others before yourself. And that, that's a, a quality that um, really defines the Christian life, follows the example of what Christ did for us. And so that's what it looks like to follow the law of love. Um, and the last thing that I think we can learn from this passage this morning is, is this. It's even during times of conflict or difficulty, we can trust that God is still in control and that there is a purpose for our pain. All right, so when you think of this disagreement between these two good friends, I mean, many of you can probably relate. Well, I, you know, you, I'm sure a lot of us can. If not all of us have uh, been in an argument, been in some sort of conflict with someone that's close to us. Uh, you know, some of you are thinking of it right now, and it's not a good memory. Those, those are painful, hurtful times. And, and um, this is probably um, very similar to what Paul and Barnabas were going through as they had this sharp disagreement. Um, but as you think about that, I, I want us, from our perspective today, we have the, the opportunity, the privilege to look back and see what God did in that situation. You know, if we're looking at it from the ground level, man, that's... That really stunk. Like, they, they're just, like, best friends, broke, breaking up, and, and it's just horrible. But when we look at it from, from our perspective, it's like, wow, God used that horrible circumstance to, to multiply ministry, to advance his kingdom, and we can learn a lot from that. And I, I think it helps shape our perspective on uh, pain, suffering, times of difficulty, and that's the lens which, which we should view those things. Uh, I know a lot of you are ready for uh, football season, right? I mean, it's, it's here with fall, Labor Day weekends, the official end of summer. Um, but this last week, in a preseason NFL game, uh, the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whose name is Garrett Gilkey, um, got injured. He was just in a normal play, snapped the ball, somebody fell, probably another one of his teammates fell on the, his leg. He heard a snap, immediately knew that he was done for the season, potentially his career. All right, and so this week he wrote an article and kind of his response to this devastating injury. Towards ACL, out for definitely the season, who knows for how long after that. But I think it gives us a good perspective as we think about what he says. He says this, he says, In that moment of pain, I had a strange peace of God that surpasses all understanding. I had a heartfelt assurance that everything was going to be okay. But I was assured of something even more important that this season of suffering, that this injury was a gift. 
not only was I reminded of Romans 8.28, that all things work for good, but also that what happened to me was a gift in so many ways. Suffering is always another opportunity for God to be glorified and for his satisfying gospel to be made known. King David says in the Psalms this, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So he holds these two in clear tension. David isn't saying that God will never let us suffer, but he is saying that God fulfills the longing which our suffering brings to the surface. God makes meaning out of our suffering because he is sufficient in it. Many of you have experienced suffering. We all probably have. That's just part of life part of living in our fallen world. And, and I think this perspective gives us a, a great challenge to live by um, and it really gives us a hope that in, in these situations that, that you may find yourself in, whether it's a disagreement, conflict within your family, friends, um, maybe a physical ailment that you've been battling or a spiritual issue, a sin in your life that, that you just can't, can't seem to, to get over. God, and all these things, and, and these all different ways that we suffer on this earth, that God can be sufficient in it, and that he fulfills the longing uh, that comes to the surface through our suffering. We can see that God's plan is at work, even in the midst of these times. And that should change our perspectives, which should ju- then sh- change the way we live. It should change our actions. Even if they you know, all, a lot of the issues that we face, they may not get fixed in our timing. I mean, a lot of us want, want things fixed right away, which is understandable, but, but God works in his timing. And some of the things that we want, that we think would be best for, for us, that we even think would be best for other people, they may not get resolved in our lifetimes. But we can be confident as we look back at Scripture, as we look back really through all the book of Acts, and, and that God is, is still working today. That his Holy Spirit is still moving in people, that his gospel is still saving, and that we can trust him, and he is still working things for his good. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your scripture, for the challenges that it brings to our life. God, we pray this morning that um, as we study your word together, that these stories would not just be Uh, history lessons, God, but that they would be um, life-changing, transforming truths as we see your hand at work in the the, uh, time of the early church, God, and as we recognize your hand at work still today in our lives and in the lives of those around us. God, help us to live under this new law of love, this law of Christ, where we have the freedom, God, to, to not do things because we have to to be saved, God, but that we get to do things because we get to, to thank you for the gospel and in response to our salvation. What a privilege and blessing that is, God. God, be with us this, this week. Help us to be on the lookout for, for people in our lives that need your love and help us to love them as you have loved us first. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.